morning. In this era of technology and advancing technology, there's been a couple of, again, I'm pretty easily amazed because I'm not a technological geek, but uh, there's been a couple of you're kidding me moments. You're kidding me. And one of them, for those of us that grew up without GPS systems, you're kidding me. You're saying I can plug this thing in and it maps out the route. It'll even talk to me and tell me when to take a right and tell me when to take a left. You're kidding me. I remember I was um, doing a wedding out in the country at a country church, and so I didn't sweat it. I figured that, okay, I'll just plug in the GPS. I did that, typed in the thing. Some of you have had this experience before. So I'm going out into the country, and then I... I'm looking around, and it's saying, take a left here. And I see one or two houses, and it's a dead end. And so, you know, there's something seriously wrong. Luckily, I left enough time. Um, we're in the search for serenity. And our search for serenity brings us to a very strange intersection. We would imagine that our GPS func- misfunctioned in, in bringing us to this place, a troubling, confusing disturbing intersection for those of us who are looking for serenity. The intersection of hardships and serenity peace. What do they have to do with each other? On the back side of your insert, let's read the serenity prayer again. We're familiar with the front part of it, but we're moving now into the latter part of the serenity prayer by Reinhold Niebuhr. The original version of it, God give us the grace, God give us grace to accept with serenity the things that cannot be changed, courage to change the things which should be changed, and the wisdom to distinguish the one from the other, living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace. Talk about God's peace on the last evening of his earthly existence. Jesus spent the evening talking to men whose lives would be turned upside down in less than 12 hours. He would be taken from them by force and executed. They would run for their lives, and when Jesus is telling them about what's going to happen, they don't understand exactly what's happening, but they know enough to be troubled and anxious. Their minds and hearts were troubled, and the picture of minds and hearts being troubled, if you've ever seen the ocean, was back out east, and the ocean five miles from where I lived, in a storm, it's, it's stirred up and tossed up, Um, their hearts were kind of like a storm at sea, surging emotions and experiencing this emotion and that emotion, very troubled, troubled hearts. They knew something cataclysmic was about to occur. And then in the first text in your sheet, look what Jesus says to them. In the midst of this storm, says peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. 
Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. He gives them his peace. Again, he is speaking to people whose minds are besieged with troublesome thoughts, and the gift he gives them is his peace. Apparently, if you or we have troubled hearts, peace is something that we want. The reason that we know the solution to some things is because, I'm sorry, the reason we know the problem, the root problem of some things is because of the things that Jesus gives. Jjesus is someone who understands what's at the root of the problem. I like this quote, for every thousand people hacking away at the leaves of evil, there's one person striking at the root. What's at the root of the problem? How about with troubled hearts? What's at the root of the problem? Surging emotions. Very disturbed. What's at the root of that? The reason, the way you can know the solution to a problem, if somebody who knows what they're talking about says, here. If it's a physician, really good physician, you explain the symptoms. And the physician says, here. Take this person. Now you're going to know what the deal is. Here's what Jesus said. Troubled hearts, Here's my peace. Apparently, peace is a relevant gift when we have troubled hearts. A little later on the same evening, the night before he was taken, Jesus commented on the troubles his disciples would face in the remaining years of their earthly lives. He was very direct, very honest with them. They would experience troubled lives while on earth, just as he did. They would be hated, just as he was. He didn't mince words at all. He's very clear, very direct. But then in the middle of telling them what their lives were going to be like, he had this to say. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. He promised them his peace. So apparently peace is not only relevant when we have troubled hearts, it's relevant if we have troubled lives. If there's chaos around us, peace is a relevant gift. If there's chaos within us, peace is a relevant gift. If there's chaos in and around us, peace is a relevant gift. Jesus gives gifts that are targeted, that need to be considered. So let's talk about peace and let's talk about God's peace and try to figure out what it is as we um, seek serenity. Peace literally means well-being or wholeness. It means something that's sound and whole and well. It's Everything's together. When someone has peace in the biblical sense, they're in a secure place. You're in a good spot if you have peace. God's peace has some unique characteristics. One of the main things that differentiates peace as it applies to God, peace as it applies to us. When God talks about peace, when Jesus, who is God, talks about peace, the peace he talks about is a fact, not a feeling. When we think about peace, we think about a feeling. How many of you have peace? You're going to say, oh, let me see. Let me see if I have peace. Nice day. Don't have to work today. What am I going to do this afternoon? I'm going to be able to do this and that. Yeah, I do have some peace today. Nice day. I'm going to go take and so peace is a feeling. With God's peace, it doesn't seem to be as much feeling as it is fact. During Jesus' time on earth, Israelites greeted one another by saying, Shalom. Shalom. It's 
the Hebrew word for peace. It was an expression of hope. It's, so if I saw you and I say shalom, it would be saying, I hope that everything is well with you. In China, uh, they say ni hao. Uh, ni means you. Hao means well. You well. And it was a hope. It was an expression of, I hope you're well. I hope you're well. Um, I hope that you experience well-being and wholeness. When Jesus said, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, he went on to say, I do not give to you as the world gives. What do you mean by that? He says, peace I give you, but I'm not going to give you peace as the world gives. I think maybe one of the things he's thinking is from the lips of people, shalom expresses possibility, hope. I hope you have a good day. Hope you have a good day. When Jesus says it, it expresses not a possibility. But Jesus is God. He is all-powerful. So when Jesus says, my peace I give you, that's not a possibility he's extending to you. That is a certainty. If he gives you peace, nothing can sully that. He has the power and authority to deliver, not just to express a wish, but to communicate a certainty. That's what's different about Jesus when he says, when he gives peace. Um, God's peace is not a fact, is a fact, not a feeling. He didn't say, I give you feelings of peace. He says, I give you peace. I will cause all things to work together for good. This is a peace, whether you feel it or not. So here's a question. Do you have God's peace? Do you have the peace of God? You might say, I must not because I feel kind of anxious, Mike. I, my heart's kind of disturbed. I must not have God's peace. My life is kind of troubled. I must not have God's peace. You don't understand the question. Do you have God's peace? It's not a matter of trying to figure out how I feel. God's peace is not a feeling. It's a fact. It's true whether you feel it or not. When you understand God's peace and the truth of it, it begins to affect your feeling. But God's peace doesn't hit you at the feeling level. It hits you at the knowing level. When Jesus says it, peace, you're in a good spot. You might not feel it right now. But you're in good hands. That's what, that's what differentiates God's peace from our peace. Um, it's a fact, not a feeling. Uh, you might say, you know what, I don't know if I have peace because I am actually kind of troubled. God's peace coexists with troubles. What it says in John 16:33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble. What it's saying is that if you have heavenly peace, you're going to experience earthly troubles. Those two things go together. It's a weird intersection. Serenity and peace and troubles. Seems like a confusing intersection. I must have got lost. I was looking for serenity. Came to this intersection, hardship and peace. I must have, the garment must not be working. But it is. But the Bible indicates these two things come together in the world. Peace is associated with the absence of troubles and the removal of danger. For, for us, peace means I have no enemies, no troubles. I don't have anything on the horizon. 
got another 24 hours before I hit something chaotic. God's peace is not tied to the absence of danger. The peace of God is tied to the presence of God, not the absence of troubling circumstances. God's peace is more about contact than it is about control. You can't control your life. You can't control your checkbook. You can't have peace. Not really. If you are connected to God, you have peace, even though you don't have control. God doesn't promise to eliminate troubles from our lives. He does promise to walk with us through these difficulties and to accomplish his purposes. Okay, that's God's peace. It's a fact, not a feeling. It's something that's associated with troubles, not the absence of danger. Let's talk about the pathway to peace. Pathway to peace. Look what it says in Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our suffering, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. It says, since we have been justified through faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, how do we, where does this search for serenity and peace, where does that begin? What it says is that we enter the peace of God, we receive the peace of God when we become children of God. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It talks about we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Peace with God is the possession of each and every child of God. When we not only understand the good news, but trust in it, we become children of God. I'm going to grab a chair. Done this before you. This is a chair. You think this chair can hold me up? Yeah, it can hold me up. Uh, isn't it holding me up now? No, why isn't it holding me up? I'm not sitting in it. Let this chair represent God, represent Jesus Christ. Jesus makes some promises. He says, those who entrust the eternal welfare to him receive God's peace and experience eternal existence. A lot of people know about Jesus, and they know about what he came to offer, that he came, he so loved the world, God gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish but have eternal life. So what the Bible says, if you will entrust the weight of your eternal destiny to God because of what he's done on the cross, you have eternal existence. You think God can be faithful to provide? You think God can be faithful to be trusted, to hold you up eternally? Anybody you think that God couldn't hold up eternally if they trusted him? Anyone? Is everybody trusting in him? If you're not trusting in him, can he hold them up? You know what faith means in the Bible? 
Faith is not intellectual knowledge. Faith is this. When I rest, when I rest the weight on what he says. This isn't faith. Faith isn't just intellectual knowledge. I know Jesus existed. Faith is when I trust my eternal welfare to him. This is faith in the Bible. Resting the weight of my eternal destiny on him. Somebody came up with a question once. Good question. If you were to stand before God and he were to say to you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? Stand before God. He says, why should I let you in? What would you say? Most of my life, not most, first part of my life, I would have said, because I go to church. Because I actually serve at the church. Because I go to church when the only other people who are there are people 50, 60, and 70 years older than I am. Because I go to church every morning during the 40 days of Lent. Because I, the pronoun I use talks about who I'm trusting in. If I'm talking about what I do, what I choose, am I trusting in him or am I trusting in me? Trusting in me. Eternal life is given to those who transfer their trust from what they have or haven't done for God to what God did for them. Eternal life is when you rest the weight of your eternal destiny on what God did. He so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him won't perish but have eternal life. Whoever is resting the weight of their eternal destiny on what he did, not on what you did. It's a change of pronoun. You know the answer he's going to look for? Why should I let you in? Because you love the world so much you gave your one and only son. So that anyone who believes in him doesn't perish but have eternal life. It's about what he promises. What he does. Um, we become children of God by transferring our trust. And, by the way, and you're going to understand this now, when I do this, what do I get automatically? Peace. Peace with God. It's not a fact. It's a fact, not a feeling. You know what? I'm in a really good spot. I don't know what's happening inside of me. I might have troubled thoughts. There might be trouble happening all around me, even though there's storms within and storms without. I might not feel like I have peace, but you know what the fact is? I'm in a good spot. Down the road from, I was in Boston, back in Boston a couple, two, three weeks ago. Um, there's a reservoir. I think I might have told you about this. Down the road, it's about maybe two miles from my house. And we used to go skating there in the winter, November, December. Um, 
if it's been cold, we'll start to go out there before Christmas break sometimes. Bring our hockey sticks, bring our skates, and go out on this thing. So if you go out on this reservoir, it's not huge, but it's big enough. Um, you know, if you if you look at the water, if you look at the ice, and sometimes you're there and nobody else is there. You don't want to fall in. It's early in the season. It's not February. It's like December, something like that. And you walk and you see the you see the cracks. You know those, right? You see the cracks in the ice, and you know the noise it makes when you step on ice. It gets a little bit creaky, doesn't it? That feels a little bit creepy when it gets creaky. And so you just kind of go like this, and you hear, oh, hey, maybe I'll win. Uh, remember one time I was there, and I was looking at this and that, and it was a little bit creaky. And but I looked out, and there's a bunch of kids, not a bunch, but they're playing hockey out in the middle. And I'm kind of standing on the edge. And they're out in the middle. I've got a question. What's the difference between me and them? You know what the difference was? They lived right by the reservoir. They knew the ice, and so they weren't afraid to trust it. The fact is, the ice was thick enough to hold me. Even though there was creeks, even though there was cracks, the reason that I wasn't able to entrust my way to the ice is that I didn't know it. I didn't know it was thick enough, and so I couldn't trust it. The fact is, the ice was thick enough. And that's what he says. God is trustworthy. If you have peace, even though there's turbulence inside and outside, you are going to land in a good spot. You will not fall through. He will bring you to a good place. Nothing in his hands has ever dropped. It doesn't always feel that way. Um, and how we come to this place of faith in Christ, the important thing is that we come here. How we come here might be different. I went to the University of Pennsylvania, and as a freshman, I talked to some individuals who talked about how we receive eternal life. I, my life, I had always based the hope of eternal life on I, what I was doing. And then there I heard for the first time as clearly as that it wasn't about what I did for God, it was about he did for me. And my initial reaction, I've talked to you about this, I was angry. <laughs> I've been working for 17, 18 years really hard to make myself good enough for God. I felt like somebody who's been paying 17 years on a house only to find out that it was free the whole time. Oh, that's wonderful. You know, I tried to be a good dad. I went to church the 40 days during Lent. I drove my bike there with 40-year-old, 60-, 70-year-old Mrs. Boy and and 80-year-old Mr. Sands, and they're sitting there, and here I am. And I wish I had known this 16 or 17 years ago, and I, I had a lot of questions. I said, you can't tell me it's as easy as just trusting my way to Jesus. You can't. And I'd come up with questions. What about the native in Africa? What about the person who never heard? And, and they never satisfied my questions. One day, I was going to meet this guy. He hated to meet with me, Harvey. 
here we go again. You know, so I'm a freshman, and I come up with all these questions, and I will not be convinced. And so um, I was supposed to meet with Harvey, and I actually, I forgot about it. I was walking around on campus. The University of Pennsylvania has about 30,000 students at the time. 16 were undergrad, another 14 were grad. And so I'm just tooling around on campus. And this guy that I don't know very well says, hey, you're going to be with Harvey today, aren't you? I said, oh, geez, that's right. You know, I'm sure what the reason why you know is because Harvey said, oh, geez, i got to meet with Godette again. Gee, holy <laughs> smoke. Pray for me. Everybody pray for me. i gotta, I got to meet with Mike. So anyways, this guy knew it for whatever the reason. And, um, and so then I met with Harvey, and so uh, we were sitting on the quadrangle, and there was um, kind of a big terrace, a lot of buildings around, and uh, we just sit there, and there were some benches. So met Harvey, and we sat there, and so I said, Harvey, what about the native? And so I started with my question. And then Harvey, I'll never forget, he said, you know, Mike, I can't, I can't, satisfy your questions relative to the native in Africa, the person I never heard, but Mike, what are you going to do with what you've heard? You know what I've been doing this whole time? Deflecting. God was making me a promise. If you believe, I'll give you eternal life. Think, what about the native in Africa? Think, and finally he got to the point what about you? He makes the promises to you. What about you? You believe me? And I say, you know what? And I remember, and for me, there's different ways that this happens, I think. For me, it was a prayer. And I remember I had thought about this for a long time. And for me, I ended up saying, I was quiet for a long time. And he was trying to help me Commit your way to God, Mike. And I did it by way of a prayer. Remember? Now, God, this is confusing. I don't remember exactly what I said. But if you offer the gift of eternal life, I receive it. I ask you to come into my life. Make me the person you want me to be. I didn't feel any bells go off, but I had made a decision made a decision. You know what else happened? Then I went on staff with that same Christian organization. And I talked to some other people and helped them sit in the chair. And sometimes I don't think they really did. See, some of us make a decision for Christ as a point-in-time decision. Some of us don't. Some of us, it's a gradual thing where we hear we believe, whether it's instantaneous or a process, the important thing, what's the important thing? This is the important thing. This is the important thing. That you put the weight of your eternal destiny on what he did for you, not what you do for him. Not because I, but because he. And when that happens, that's when we experience the peace of God. What ended up happening after that? After I made a decision for Christ, I uh, I played freshman football. Some of you are, some of you didn't remember where I went to school. 
see, some of you, did he say Penn? Did he say Penn State? Did he say Penn State? He played freshman football at Penn State? Nittany Lions? Mike? It wasn't Penn State. It was the University of Pennsylvania. Not the Nittany Lions. The Fighting Quakers. I played freshman football for the Fighting Quakers. And so, okay. Oh, good. Whoa, I thought he was, I thought he was a good football player there for a second. Uh, anyway. Um, I moved into a fraternity. A uh, bunch of guys. We had the pen, so we were all, yeah, you know, <laughs> football guys. Um, fighting Quakers. I ended up sometime after having invited Christ. I, I kind of took a right turn. When you go to school, you make a lot of decisions, and I made a lot of bad decisions. I tried this and tried that. came to a point, though, where I said, you know what, God, I, I really do want to be the person you want me to be. I don't know how this works, and so maybe I need to, maybe I need to change people I hang around with. Very difficult decision. I don't how much. Anyway, what I did, I moved into a Christian house, and um, and I figured, well, that's going to work out good. You know what ended up happening? The guy I got to move into the fraternity, he moved out, and now I'm stuck with two rents. This isn't supposed to happen, is it? Yeah, I ended up having a very difficult time in school. I was a really good student in high school. got to college, and I had difficulty. I just couldn't seem to, to just apply myself. I didn't know what was wrong. Um, and this is during my freshman, sophomore year, and I'm trying to study, and I'm just, I think I told you the story. I was walking through the center of campus, and I was, you know, <laughs> Bing banging off something, you know. That's what kind of guy I was. Just kind of, and I, I, I didn't know why. So, so I was walking down, and there was a fraternity thing, and, and somebody was trying to get a flag up a flagpole. I'm like, I can do that. So I'm climbing up this flagpole, <laughs> and I'm putting up the flag, and then I did something done, and then they're giving blood. I said, I can do that. And so I'm going in to give blood, and, and so they take my pulse, and my pulse is 120. Well, that's a little high. And uh, they said, you need to sit down. So I sat down, and my resting pulse went down to 115. They said, you need to go to the hospital. And I did. And they said, they did some tests, and this is what they said to me. I don't know what this is. You have, again, imagine you're me. How would you respond to this? You have Graves' disease. Graves' disease. And what I learned about, that's hyperthyroidism. So when I went to school, and right about in the same time where I'm trying to orient myself, I have this thing. Graves' disease makes you, you can't sit down. You just kind of, you're always moving. And so I couldn't study, and my grades tanked, and I'm paying two rents, and 
right after I did this. Some of you understand that, don't you? You entrust the weight of your eternal destiny to Christ, and then all of a sudden things start coming apart. And what do you start wondering? You abandoned me. Why is it that when we receive peace, we end up experiencing troubles? Has that been your experience? That was mine. Um, divine peace is linked with human problems in this text. It talks about, well, look what it says. Since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. I'll tell you what, 100 years from now, you're resting your weight, eternal weight in Christ. 100 years from now, we're going to be great. Experiencing connection with God together, it's going to be wonderful. We're going to experience the glory of God. But look what it goes on to say. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our, look at the word, rejoice in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance means the capacity to remain under a difficult experience. That's what it literally means, that you're having to contend with something that you don't want to contend with, but you learn to contend with it. It might be physical, it might be emotional, it might be social, but it's something you'd want to move, and that's perseverance. Perseverance promotes character. Character literally means provenness. Provenness. If you take a ring and you're trying to prove that it's gold, you submit it to a test. And that's the image. As we have to endure things, we learn to remain under things. It lets us know that what we have is real, proven, and that provides assurance we go through things, and when we get to the other side of those things, you know what we end up experiencing? And you could tell me stories. I could tell you stories about things that you went through. You felt that God abandoned you, and then he takes you through it, and it might not have worked out great, but you got through it. You learned to hold on to the reality of trouble and hold on to his hand at the same time. And you know what? You did it. You don't want to go back, and that's what it's describing. That's a way to certify authenticity. Authentic Christianity is not circumventing troubles. It's walking through them with him. It's the image. Hardship as the pathway to peace. Deep assurance is developed through trials. We talked about the first Jewish Christians, and from an Old Testament perspective, they believed that trust in God meant that they would be blessed with health and wealth. And that is described in the Old Testament of the Bible, not the New. You cannot argue that believe in God and he'll give you health and wealth. You cannot argue that from the New Testament of the Bible. It just isn't there. Not there. In the New Testament, heavenly blessings eclipse earthly ones. We're promised heaven. We're promised that we're going to get ours 100 years from now. Anyways, um, 
they were in this place where they were just learning that. They didn't have the New Testament, and the first Jewish Christians were expecting, okay, okay, we're putting our faith in Jesus, so everything should be good, and then everything wasn't good. And they start to, well, you know what they start to do? They start to move off the seat, and they want to go back to the synagogue. What he says, writes to them, last passage, Hebrews 12, verse 3. No, next to the last passage. Consider him who has endured such opposition from sinful man, Jesus, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. You have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves. And he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. When we get into trouble, there are two mistakes we make. We either My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Sometimes we make light of it and we deny the hurt. Sometimes we lose heart and we deny the hope. Walking with God means you do two things. You hold on to the hurt and you hold on to the hope. It means if you're going through a difficult thing, don't pretend. Don't pretend that everything's fine. Don't deny the hurt. God doesn't want you to deny the hurt. He knows it hurts. Just be okay with it. God, you know, I don't like what I'm going through. I don't like it. Hang on. Don't deny the hurt, but don't deny the hope. You know, would you help me to get through this? Hold on to the hurt. Hold on to the hope. Don't deny either one. That's what this passage, and that's what they, they forgot to do. Um, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. That doesn't mean, thank you, sir, give me another. You know what it means? Even though you're in trouble, you have not been abandoned. That's what it means. It's not the absence of divine involvement. God disciplines those he loves. And if you're going through some difficult things, it's not because you aren't loved, it's because you are. That doesn't make it smiley, but you've not been abandoned. Um, difficult to believe we haven't been abandoned when we find ourselves in the midst of a storm. This is the last text. Look what it says. That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Several observations, the winds whip into the Sea of Galilee. It's not an ocean, it's a lake, it's a sea. They were upset with Jesus because he didn't share their desperation. It looks like they're going to go down, and they said, don't you care if we drown? Um, fear is a natural response to threat, and faith is a supernatural one. And Jesus ends up saying to them, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? He then speaks to the storm. Shh. Quiet. He says, 
And they say, who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey. You know what I get out of that story? We're going to move to communion. Why did they experience that storm? They might have thought we did something wrong. You know why they experienced that storm? Because they got into the boat because Jesus asked them to. So you can be in the middle of God's will and be bailing like crazy. You ever decide the reason why you are where you are is not because you haven't followed God, but because you have. When you follow him, he will lead you into difficult places. And in that place, you hold on to the reality of what you're experiencing, and you hold on to the reality of hope at the same time. How do we know that he'll come through? How do we know that Jesus is thick enough? We come to communion. Verse in the Bible says this, He who did not spare his own son, but gave himself up for us all, how will he not also along with him freely give us all things? I want you to listen to this question again. Romans 8.32 He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also along with him freely give us all things? One more time. It's a good question. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered himself up for us all, how will he not also along with him freely give us all things? If you entrust the weight of your eternal destiny to Jesus, to God, how do you know he'll pull through? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered, if he gave you Jesus, will he let you go? I won't. That's what communion's about. So this is my body and this is my blood broken for you. God coming to provide you with a means whereby you can enter into peace with God that might pass through troubles here, but eternally will end you in a good place. And he would have us believe it. Uh, over the course of, we're going to have some music, and so come get the elements, the bread and the, and the juice, and think about God and the promises he makes and the fact that he is faithful to do what he says he'll do. If you have his peace, you're in a good spot, even though it doesn't feel like it. Well, it really does seem biblically except hardships as a pathway to peace. Hardships are not indications of your neglect, lack of involvement. They're indications of involvement. You don't want us to smile and be fake about it, but you'll have us hold on to the reality of hurt and the reality of hope at the same time. Walk through that a day at a time. Help us continue to learn about that. In Jesus' name, amen.